October 7th, Hamas actually launched an attack on Israel. Every country, including Israel, has a right to defend themselves. This immense human suffering has to end. Do they believe that a two-state solution is possible at this point? Is Singapore's response to the Israel-Palestinian conflict biased? This is your Daily Catch-Up. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, hello everybody. So today we are going to be dipping our toes into the Israel-Palestine conflict. But first, a disclaimer. So obviously we know that this is an extremely touchy topic. We've tried our best to do as much research as we can. But of course, it's impossible for us to know every single thing that's happening. So if there's anything that we missed, do comment down below and we can continue the discussion there. Anyway, we've invited two guests here, as you can hey. see, to help us have a better discussion. So, welcome to the show, Fahima and Minister Ong. Welcome. Oh, hello. Hello. Okay. okay. Hello. For those of you who don't know, uh, Najah Fahima, she's a founder of Hash Peace and currently works full-time with Hope Initiative Alliance, where she runs an interfaith charity. So, she's been very involved in works that advances interfaith relations as well as dialogue. She's worked with people in Singapore as well as overseas and has heard from many Jewish and Muslim friends, especially regarding the current conflict. Mm. And on the other hand, Minister Ong has been in politics for over a decade. He's currently serving as the Minister for Health and has been a member of Parliament since 2015, which makes him part of the 4G leadership. With the most recent happenings, starting from October 7th, where Hamas actually launched an attack on Israel and caught them off guard. So they quite a few people were killed as well as raped and taken hostage. And in retaliation, Israel has started uh, bombing, has been bombing the Gaza Strip over the past two weeks. Yeah, which leads us to where we are now. I think one thing we need to recognise is um, no matter how hard we try, we will never be able to understand what the Israelis and Palestinians are going through. We've never been in such situations. We've never experienced it. We're empathising from a distance, right? And uh, whatever information we're getting, information, disinformation, misrepresentation, everything that we're getting, it's all through various narratives, various sources that are, again, distanced from us as well. Mm -hmm. And so, but, you know, uh, even when we're so far removed, right? One of the questions that keeps coming to me is, do I care about this? Should I care about it? And I've got very uh, uncomfortable conversations about this as well in the past few days. Uh, but I think right now the focus is this immense human suffering has to end. And I think that's where I would say for, if I were to start, it would be our the latest resolution in UN which Singapore voted for. We need this resolution to take effect as soon as possible. Right. But jumping in a bit on your point, right, about how we are quite far away from yes. everything that's happening yes. in the Middle East. Yes. So as a Singaporean, I feel like I'm not sure how this directly impacts my life and so I don't care. But on the other hand, it's also that in all my reading of this, right, yeah. I feel like yeah. we are in a situation where we've come to a point where there's no turning back and we are just in a hopeless uh, situation where nothing yeah. seems to go right. Yeah. And so I feel like because I am there, then I feel like 
I'm not sure what I can do and therefore I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's okay. That 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 you know this this issue doesn't concern me. It's not my problem. It's not my fight. I think that is also an okay. I think what we cannot do is have this pressure to join a conversation because everyone's joining it. I think somewhere we need to reason with whether or not we truly what our feelings are towards it. And I uh, <clears throat> I think right now the the emotions and the overwhelming amount of content on social media doesn't allow for that space lah. I think mm. for me seventh October I did what I did which I reached out to my Jewish Israeli friends but I also took a boundary. Um, and I and I think in my first post I said it's okay to be confused and silent. That was my first post that went out. It's okay to be confused and silent. And of course I got attacked for saying be silent or so. Yep. There were people who were attacking me. How how can you be silent? I had I had messages that come at me. How can you sleep at night? Mm. I had messages that how are you? You know how are you a person of religion and all that stuff. I had all this coming, but I needed the space to think. Yeah. I took some time to understand that my role here because of my interfaith efforts in the years and of course focus on the Jewish Muslim relations for us this situation was not something we didn't an- anticipate in the mm. sense that mm. there's always been in 2021 there was this issue as well what we were not prepared for was this intensity this scale what's happening we were not prepared for we, I don't think would have any any way prepared so immediately my natural response was I need to reach out to my Jewish Israeli friends and see they're okay that was my mm. 7th and 8th October like what Fahima say this is one major hotspot of the world for many many years mm-hmm. already. Very long history. There's been many wars fought. You know, 48, 67, 73, and then many skirmishes both north as mm-hmm. well as with Gaza. There were two intifadas, yep. right? An intifada is basically Palestinians uprising against uh, unjust treatment on them. And people watching the situation, they expected like what mm-hmm. Fahima say expected. Something to happen, maybe a third intifada. Never do people expect such atrocities to happen. Mm. And now done on both sides. Mm. Of course, understandably, there's a range of responses. Some from thinking that this is not our fight to others feeling very strong. How, how were your conversations with members of the other faiths? I would say for me, right, um, like I said, on 7 October, 8 October, when I reached out to my Jewish-Israeli friends, as well as some of the other religious groups, I think for me immediately was, because I have been exposed to what this conflict in Middle East always does to certain communities, Mm. but first thing was, as a Singaporean, as a Muslim Singaporean, involved in interfaith, now that's important, my role, Mm. the role that I wish to play. And then I said, I do not want my Jewish, uh, the community here, to worry about getting into a taxi because they're wearing a kippah or a staff, David. Mm. And that, to me, was the most important task at hand for me. And I decided to do that. And I'm doing that and I will. And to me, I I think whoever can afford to do that, um, whoever thinks that a minority community in this country needs to be protected, do that. And, and and I must do that while also be, being able to uh, be able to express my support for Palestine, the people in Palestine who need it. Now, how I balance it and stuff like that, it's it's something I'm trying to figure out. And it's okay for me to be confused on days depending on what news lands on my phone, whatever mm. notifications come. So it's okay, but I don't want... I think for me as a Singaporean who has been spending so much time in interfaith, that is my task at hand and I would do what I need to do that. Lah. That is mm. the strongest way I would do it. And I hope everyone sits down and think about what their role is and then um, make sure that you're responsible and accountable for what you're doing. That's it. That was great. <laughs> oh, really? Great. Sorry, I wasn't, <laughs> really, sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure I was recording. But I'm just saying, I think maybe I'm keeping all this in my head for a yeah. long time. This is my first media. I refuse <laughs> to all oh, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> Sorry and thank you. Because <laughs> it's been very difficult. <laughs> because you know why? When I was talking to you, I'm like, I, I'm wondering what attack is going to come in my head. No? Yeah, yeah, People yeah. will attack me for this as well. They will say that I'm being one-sided. I'm only caring about the Jewish community. But I know why in 2021... Um, the attempted attack on the Jewish community at the synagogue that mm. I could have been there. Mm. 
I visit there often. Mm. I could have been in the very place where the attack was attempted. Right. The fact that it has happened, and not just them, I am also like, did this happen in our country? Has already got of made me a bit worried. Mm. So the, this time, I I made sure that um, it's not just what our country in the legal and the regulatory framework it does, but I as an interfaith community need to offer my support for people who need, and that's it. Mm. And of course, you know, I'm I'll be very honest here. It's going to be uncomfortable for them to talk to me as well, right? Yeah. But I think that was when I realized the strength of the interfaith I've built over the last seven, eight years. That I can go into certain houses and talk to them. That's an important point. No? The trust and faith you have across different faiths yeah. or the trust you have between different faiths that has to be built up during peacetime. Yeah. When we read about all these atrocities, when we read about life loss, saw images, <coughs> that there, anyone with a conscience... Uh, Anyone with some empathy, you will feel quite strongly about it, quite disturbed, quite shocked, in fact. Uh, what it really means to us, I think, can think about it in maybe three levels. One is at a personal level. And personal is not just, not just yourself, but also amongst your friends, amongst family members, amongst your community, amongst members of your own faith. By all means, discuss, talk, debate, attend workshops, seminars understand it further, understand how other people feel, and that's your personal level, things that we can do. Yeah? And very importantly, personally, you can donate, you can participate in some of these charity efforts that happen over the weekend, Humanity Matters, uh, gathering a lot of supplies, packing them, sending them to Gaza, participate in all that. Then there's a second level, which I think very important, which is how we react as Singaporeans. Because how we react matters as, as a people. We, we worked a long way for over many decades to reach here. Having said that, like all families, outside factors can affect family unity. Sometimes husband and wife, in-laws quarrel, right? So they are torn. Sometimes they, they support different football clubs even, right? Man City, Man U, you know? Uh, then they fight. Sometimes... You watch. Uh. Last night, Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Some, ah. Sometimes, sometimes there are bigger issues. Uh, you, you support different political parties. In the US, that happens. Yeah. But whatever it is, whatever it is, we cannot walk out on our, on our loved ones. Uh. Always stay together as a family. So I think that is one thing that can affect us. That means right. outside factors can lead to us disagreeing with each other. And it has happened. Yeah, so very importantly is to know that as Singaporeans, we come so far to have this cohesive nature. Each of us can have personally different reaction, but as Singaporeans, let's stay together. Don't let external factors affect our internal mm. cohesion. Mm. And then the final level is one, what, what does the government do? Because government have to go beyond uh, taking into account how people personally feel how we should react as Singaporeans, but also what is the government's stance. When you go to international fora at the UN, when ASEAN met up with GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, we had to issue a statement. What do we say? So if you could summarize what is Singapore's current stance on this, how would you summarize that? Oh, I think the recent vote, the UN resolution drafted by the Arab states, that's probably a good summary. Mm. Uh, we voted for, but also with an explanation. The resolution essentially calls for humanitarian truce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then call for aid to flow uh, in large amounts to help the people of Gaza. It calls for a two-state solution as the long-term 
durable, just, comprehensive solution to mm -hmm. this conflict, all of which has always been our position. We support. Um, but then we explain, uh, uh, also calls for the adherence to international law mm -hmm. and the law of war against the indiscriminate killing of civilians. So we also voted for that. But then we, in our explanation, we also pointed out two things. That number one, condemn terrorism. 7 October, there is no rationale, no excuse. You, you mm. cannot do that. Yeah, we must always speak up and condemn it. Second is to recognize that every country, including Israel, has a right to defend themselves. This is something that Singapore too, we will need. So this is international law and the global order. We are an important stakeholder to it. Singapore wouldn't exist if there's no international order and no global order. Mm. So there are some rules that are sacrosanct that's very important for international rule of law in the global order, and we must always uphold them. And so I would say these are some of the core positions They're all encapsulated in both the vote as well as our explanation. You mentioned that there are a lot of things that we need to weigh. Um, so the question is that what, what are those factors that perhaps we don't see as civilians in terms of the government's decision, in terms of um, the position made at, at, at UN, in terms of, for example, Singapore almost had a Hongling Park what do, you, what do you call stuff the rally, that happens there? It? You call it a rally. They, yeah. they call it a peace rally. So a recent application for a permit to hold a peace rally for Palestine at Hong Lim Park was turned down by NPARCs. Yeah. Yeah. So two, two considerations the government will always have to take into account. One is what I mentioned. We need to respond as Singaporeans, not just personally. It has to take into account what is the interest for Singapore and Singaporeans for the long term. That means we don't just take into account of the current situation in between Israel and Gaza, but also in future, what if situation change? What if something happened nearer to home? Yep. What if something happened to us? Uh, what should be our stance? And our stance must always be consistent. Yeah? And there must be precedent set that we can defend for the future. That is why 7 October happened. We've been victims of terrorism before, and we will continue to be a target for terrorism. We have to quickly come out condemn terrorism and the atrocities committed on civilians. We've been also victim of atrocities during a war before, Second World War. We know what it's like, you know, yeah. indiscriminate killing of civilians. So when that happened, we take a strong stand as well. So we must take strong stance that is better for Singapore for the long term. And as Singaporeans, we need to hold our cohesion and unity together. Uh, and when I scroll through my socials, you can see how passionate things can become. Imagine rallies attended by thousands can also escalate emotions. If you allow one group to hold a rally, you must also allow the other groups. And when you have competing rallies, that's when emotions can go very high. Uh, right. It happens in other countries and you can already see that there are more attacks on yeah. all, all groups, yeah. on all groups. Anti-Semitism is on the rise now. Um, there's also been attacks on Muslims. Yep. So I think let's be quite careful. So mm. I, I can fully understand the police, understandably, uh, is concerned about safety and security of the people. So they feel that it's better on this issue. By all means, have private discussions, attend seminars, workshops, but not have open rallies that can stoke up emotions even right. More. The yeah. concern is formalizing really two opposing parties in that yeah. sense. And also is for safety and security of everybody. 
the thing is, I don't think, um, uh, I, of course, I can't speak for what the government consider, but I'm really looking at what I've been observing from around the world, right? When such things happen, in, in emotions are very intense. What do you do? You calculate all the possibilities this could go wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously one possibility that, you know, and when we think that one could possibly happen because in other parts of the world, it is happening. So I yeah. think you make calculations on one of all the possibilities. And when you do your calculations, this is going to be a, problem maybe let's take a very precautionary approach mm. um i i'm not so sure whether we should exactly say that this was really trying to cancel it off or anything um because i think even for me i think the intention of trying to show the support is really nice yeah. the young people care about it i really liked it S- some of them who approached me about the rally were not muslims actually mm. i actually had some chinese people approaching me about mm. the rally and stuff i actually like you know they were talking to me about it and they were asking me to join right so it's not that but i think um i think there must be a lot of other considerations that the government have. I'm not speaking on behalf of them, but we, we need to see that then what is the best right now. Mm. Um, and I think that's where this thing, but I don't think we should dismiss it at it's only because to avoid a racial religious divide. I think that is also a key consideration. Mm. Um, but uh, anything can happen in a rally, right? Anything mm. can happen. People could just fight because they are taking different political views as well. I suppose you think of it from the government's point of view and we know our history and how we work so hard and went through some racial riots to arrive where we are today. And then this scenario that you painted can happen. Are you going to take the chance or not? You know, in the Asia context, in many Western countries, the individual right to express trumps everything else. So much so that you can carry a gun. It's your individual right, right? But in Asia, we take a more circumspect approach. Yeah. Yeah, That your, your right also affects others, affects the overall cohesiveness of society. So uh, we always balance what mm. we should do uh, as an individual with our rights versus our responsibility for the larger society. In Malaysia, Indonesia is quite a different situation. They don't have diplomatic relations with Israel. Yeah. So protests uh, against Israel, pro-Palestinian, for them is easier to do. Right. They don't have the same dilemma. We have good relations with both uh, the Palestinian Authority as well as Israel. Yeah. Israel, as you mentioned, we had collaborations. I was Minister for Education and Health in both ministries. We collaborate in education, in research. Wow. Mm. With Palestinian Authority, only last year, we opened a representative office there to coordinate um, technical assistance that we can give. Uh, oh, you then the the working there, how? Yeah. It's in Ramallah. So it's not, in Ramallah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice of you to be considerate on that. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. I, I think there's this, you know, the um, I, what I felt though after the whole rally thing was, you know, this thing. What I felt could have been done was, I thought then we could have created more spaces of dialogue for the people who wanted to be part of it. Yeah. I'm not so sure whether that has been done. Um, whoever. I, who reached out to me, I tried to talk to them to understand. But yeah. I think where there are a group of young people who want to have this rally of voice, um, I think. Maybe I would say to the government, it's also about how we redirect this, create the space for them and allow them to have a bit more uh, direct connection with the government to talk. Because at the end of the day, this thing about this whole issue, it's one is there's one part on public sentiment and what the public sentiment says. And then there's, of course, the political Mm. follow up on that. And I think that's where we need to, that's the space also that needs more dialogue. And I see some of it coming up now, but I think maybe the immediate... Um, immediate action after the rally was sort of uh, not permitted, mm. then maybe it's about redirecting that into a journey of where there could have been dialogues by the very people who wanted. Do you feel like that should be government-led? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Would that not be straight? <laughs> I'm from the civil society. I'm generally not for government-led. Yeah. I believe things have to be ground up. And uh, um, But then again, in this question, because the because the rally p- was not permitted by the government, then the government has to then see where oh, they can okay, talk a lot. In this case, but otherwise, I would think that a lot more ground-up efforts needs to come for people to sit and talk about it. Um, and I think Singapore, especially for me being an interfaith, I think we are quite a mature society to actually be able to do that. I have been able to do that in just my own one-to-one. Mm. Um, of course, I- emotions are right. I feel right now very high and getting more high, and therefore I don't want to risk with a group yet. Uh, but I think we should be able to sit yeah. and just let people say what they want to say. I don't think yeah. that has been done yet. Um, and I've seen some people take some effort towards it. Yeah. It could be said as the government taking one for the team in that sense. Because right now, why why the permit was cancelled from this little discussion we've had, one of the possible outcomes is that we are afraid of racial and, and religious tensions within Singapore of two groups fighting. right? But when the government come in and say, no, no permit to you, no rally for you, it's the government then taking a the, the people that really wanted the rally to happen becomes a us against government. No, there will be that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Because people cherish their right to speak. Mm. Yeah. Uh, including publicly and rallying others to agree with them. Mm. People cherish that ability. And now the permit's not given. Of course, there'll be a lot of disappointment. But I think we have to sometimes just be a bit gyasu because yeah. uh, very big things are at stake here. And as a government, we need to be responsible for those to prevent those big things, big, mm. big bad things from happening. And sometimes we take a, perhaps to some, is too conservative approach. But I think we have our reasons to do mm. so. And we hope people understand. Yeah. But so like I've seen on Instagram where like people are calling out some form of a double standard mm. because there's been gatherings that the Israeli embassy has been holding mm. like as memorials. And I think like they've been posting quite a bit of like... Uh, instigatory things on their social media as well and so people are asking why is the government then not um, calling this out and, and stopping these things from happening let me clarify in the memorial okay. we do have a local Jewish community that's been here for 200 years and some of them have served the NS and they are obviously also affected by what's that the memorial was for the people mm. like how we have would pray, we would have prayer for Gaza the memorial was done also for the community I think we need to separate that incident obviously maybe Israel embassy may have changed but we need to separate that from whatever Israel embassy is also sharing we shouldn't right, right, confuse right. that right so okay. the memorial needs to happen obviously because we have a community here and mm. they need to pray for those who have been affected by 7 October I how do we handle memorials that? prayers yeah. gatherings to discuss things these, these are important to carry out Mm. Yeah, on one hand it's almost happening yeah. right to see yeah. the young yes, of Singapore yes. being so passionate about international mm. affairs to, to rally is different that's why we right. the word is rally yeah. right, right. so as Minister has explained Singapore's stance right do you think any of that has led to disagreements amongst like your friend groups and the people that you've spoken to and what if there is, what have they been happy or unhappy about? I mean, gen- the generally, I mean, on a, on a political side where I've been doing a bit of research I noticed that obviously um, the Israelis will be not happy when we say ceasefire. Because mm. to them, it's like, if you're asking me to... 
I'm not saying like people I talk to, but generally when I when I'm researching online, it's like when you ask to cease fire means you allow. Is it okay for them to attack me? That's the yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the feeling that they get. But I think that's where um it's important to take note what minister state is the full our position, the full of it. The right to defend, need to follow human, uh, need to follow international law. Mm. At the same time, need to make sure that there is no civilian that are being affected. Yeah. I think we need to look at it. Um, at some point, there will be people who just don't want to listen to balance, reasonable, important, yeah. um, humanist, based on humanist principle kind of mm. these things. But we have to say what we have to so say. So la. the UN is also one big interfaith. Exactly. Dialogue. So in oh. the end, the resolution, <laughs> the word they use was humanitarian truce. Yes, not, correct. Not the ceasefire. Exactly. Right. And then together, our explanation right. reiterate that Israel has a right to defend itself according to international law. Yeah. Right. And, and take a stand against indiscriminate but killing what of civilians. if, for example, mm. a terrorist organisation, they don't have to adhere to international or no one's expecting them and neither are they going to yeah. adhere to international laws. And then for a country like Israel, then one loss is one loss too many. Where I, where I, I struggle to understand is that for me personally, I've always looked at, at uh, Israel as an early friend of Singapore I mean, from, from that book of that Lee Kuan Yew wrote where he who were the Mexicans for the first time, right? The people that trained the armed forces and all that stuff. And that's where I, I come into this lens and, and I'm trying to figure out what could Israel do right? Like, is there anything they can do now while still protecting their people? And, and I, w- I would like to ask this question to, to Min Ong. In terms of what would Singapore you be do, doing You raise two aspects. You raise yeah. two aspects. One is uh, global order. The other is history. In terms of global order, it... It, not difficult to also imagine in Singapore. Imagine there are no laws, voting who no, no laws, no police, mm. no nothing. Mm. Things just don't work. Right? It would be mm. chaotic. It would be anarchism. Mm. So we need laws. We need the courts. We need police. We need government. Then things work. Things can work. Uh, <coughs> it's necessary for a country to work. It is necessary for the world, the international community, to work with each other. There has to be laws, international laws. There has to be that after World War One and there was League of Nations, you start to have an emergence of something called the nation state. Without which there's no Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I say actually last time there are no lines. Yeah. There are no lines. The lines, uh borders between countries is a fairly recent invention. Yeah. So that there's Malaysia, there's Singapore, there's Indonesia, there's Thailand. Uh then lines are drawn. Yeah. Uh, and with lines, then you have sovereignty within your borders and there is a way that you engage each other. You want to engage each other to trade, there is free trade agreement. You want to engage in each other sometimes with skirmishes, with conflict, there are laws, what you can do, what you cannot do. You did mention and there are terrorist groups that don't obey all of this. So they are there to disrupt the order that we live together. Yeah. And those are our common enemies. And likewise, when one country attacks another, it must have the ability to respond and defend itself. Mm. But when you respond, there are conventions and there are laws and how you respond, it cannot be disproportionate. Disproportionate. You cannot end up killing innocent civilians disproportionately or indiscriminately. So all these, all these are important to especially small states like Singapore. What else can we rely on, right? We're not a superpower. We're a small state. We rely on the law that hopefully everybody agrees on. So for example, if Singapore then is that nation state yeah. of which we have worked hard to militarize ourselves to be then uh, the poison shrimp, for example. And if there is a terrorist group from a neighboring country that, for example, would fire rockets at us and 
we have to now react with only proportionate force, yet the terrorist group embeds themselves among civilians, they stockpile their ammunitions among civilians. What, honestly, can a responsible member of the international community do differently if, for example, the government of where the terrorist is hosted is doesn't want to negotiate? What you uh, imagine is not far-fetched, you know. Mm. We had threats from Jamaa Islamiyah. Mm -hmm. We had threat from ISIS, mm -hmm. which is possible. And these are well-known in carrying out terrorist acts. And if they it can happen here. It can, and they can hide in civilian population. Yeah. It's very difficult. Um, our, I, I don't think I can comment what we will do because this is essentially, it will have to be a military operation. Mm. And we will have plans uh, in accordance with international law, but defend Singapore and defend our way of life and protect Singaporeans nonetheless. Yeah. No, but that's where I feel like, what could we then do differently? At some point, we'll be trading lives with terrorists, correct? If we send a small team to try and embed a, a civilian population to root out terrorists, we are, we are trading lives with terrorists, which, which kind of defeats the whole point of us militarizing so hard for the last 50 years. I also do think that's why, um, I mean, our government stance, in my opinion, my understanding of it is that we are treading that very fine line between the right to defend yourself as well as what is considered excessive force. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And trying to follow the, yeah. the international... So the the international recent war in the Middle East to, uh, to flush out ISIS, those were mostly fought in cities, in Aleppo, in Mosul, uh, amongst civilian population. Yeah, and it's very difficult to carry out. Yeah, and I think that's where like a lot of people are thinking that, oh, the Singaporean government feels more pro-Israeli because why are they not saying that this is clearly excessive force? Why are they not outrightly saying it and they're still, in a sense, hiding behind that statement, okay, they have this right, they have this right. I don't think Singapore's position was only there's a right to defend itself. It's Singapore's position also is that Israel needs to follow international laws. Mm. And what does it, following international laws mean? I think if, of course, we can go into really into the legality mm. of it, following international laws means... Uh, you know, proportion use and taking care of whatever they need to. So I think um, what when we say that Singapore is being one-sided or not, we are, we are leaving out the portion where we are insisting on following international laws. And that's a very pro-Palestinian approach mm. that we, we should be. We don't pick one side or another. Yeah. We protect Singapore and protect Singaporeans. That, that For government, that has to be our duty and responsibility. Having seen this conversation, especially by Singaporeans, um, they do, it does seem to have a somewhat of a racial slant to it in the sense whereby the Muslim community or the, the Malay Muslim community in Singapore seem to almost have to publicly support the, the Palestinians. For example, if yeah. I today go out there and say I support Israel's right to defend itself and I put that on my social media platform mm. versus a Malay Muslim person in Singapore that says I support Israel's right to defend itself, that person will get it a lot worse than me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so therefore, it does affect all of us. Yes. Are you okay? Right. <laughs> yes, David. Yeah. I think we can't quite uh, run away from the fact that there is always this uh, response from certain religious communities based on what? Uh, the land, Israel, Palestine, or just that whole surrounding there has a 
has a very special place in a lot of religious communities, Jewish, uh, Christians, Muslims, Baha'i faith as well. There's a group called Baha'i faith who also have that. So whatever happens there, there is a lot of religious undertones to it. And therefore, um, whenever such things happen, it, it affects us, right? Um, There's a few layers to it. Firstly, for me is, um, you know, as a person looking at what's happening to the Palestinians is painful as mm. a person. And then of course, oh, that person is also a Muslim. There's a co-religionist mm. connection. And wow, so that, that's where the voice comes from. You would see the same parallel with a Jewish person and a Christian person. When you're on the ground talking to all of it, you see the sentiments are very similar streamlines. It's just that I think, um, um, I think generally a lot of... Uh, Muslim communities have been a bit more vocal about it. But I think when you start talking to Christians, you would see pretty much the same sentiments as well. Mm. Um, can a Muslim uh, go out there and say that they have the right to defend Israel? Mm. Uh, right? I, I, as a Singaporean Muslim, would go and say that mm. because my country has a right to defend and therefore Israel has its right to defend. I would say that. Um, will people be angry with it? I think they will be. And when they're angry with it, I... I need to understand the emotions that they come from, right? Um, I think someone who's really going to be angry with me, it's really seeing from the point that people are suffering based on the bombings in yeah. Israel. And I think for me, I need to have the maturity, know that this person is speaking out of the pain and the suffering. Yeah. I want to hold on to that compassion the person has. And I think if I can afford to just tolerate whatever anger, anger they're showing me. And you know, sometimes there was a moment where Asking a friend, how are you doing, was itself mm. bad question to begin mm. with. Like, it'd be like, how do you think I'm doing? Oh, right. How do you expect the, the me to do at this, right? Oh. These were the things that were coming at me. And I think for me, my work in interfaith has trained me and given me the practice to tolerate things that come at me. I can. And that's where, like what minister says, how do we preserve the relations here, right? Mm. Somewhere here and there, we need to manage our own emotions with each other. And, and that's how a lot of my conversations has been going. In your conversations with your Jewish and your Muslim friends, right, do they believe that a two-state solution is possible at this point? Because for me, I think it's interesting that when I look at the history, depending on how far back I go, the who's right, who's wrong kind of shifts, right? And then um, whose who's land was it to begin with? Oh, I was here first, but then you were not here for 2,000 years, but then now I'm here. And then at this point, do they even believe that a two-state solution is possible? I would say a lot of us, um, when I mean a lot of us, I'm collectively talking about Jewish Muslim uh, who are connected with Israel-Palestine as well as mm -hmm. the Christians and everything. I would say right now at this point, um, the glimmer for hope has really gone down. Um, mm. The key word here is negotiator two states. If anybody who has been in any kind of negotiation process, you know that negotiation comes with um, what is the give and take? What do I give mm. to take? And what is a compromise? Where do I compromise? And I think this is why even world leaders grapple with this. If it was so easy, we would have already gotten it. Oslo was the closest, I think, right? Mm. Um, and I think uh, it looks more difficult now because people are thinking this is existential now. It, that's the feeling people are getting. This is existential that, you know, um, and I don't think right now people have the right frame of mind to know that um, in order for one to exist, the other also has to exist in equal rights mm. and, you know, in equal rights as well as in equal identity and dignity. Mm. But when you are downplaying one side over the your claims, that's never going to happen. Yeah. So um, the question is, so what do we do now? Mm. Um, I think at a certain point, I would not undermine the role of international community, right? Yeah. And I believe, and I would love to believe as a young person that diplomatic relations has a role to play. So I look at right now the Abrahamic Accords, for example, that, that there are more Arab states that have normalized relation with Israel. Mm. Can that, or even for example, Saudi is trying to normalize, can these kind of relations 
help in some way. The fact that, you know, the Arab states have their closeness to the Palestinians as well. Can they do something? So these yeah. are all the questions that need to be asked and, and hope that that will move towards this negotiated two states. But I think we need to be very realistic that the word negotiation is not going to be easy. And I think right now, that just reduced a lot. I personally feel that I've been trying to do this Jewish, Muslim or Abrahamic diplomacy for a long time. And I feel even my work has regressed, mm. has regressed 20, 30, 40 years right now. Um, and even for me to be able to come back to talk in a way where everybody's like still for an understanding, I think that's going to be difficult. So um, like I said, go back to the idea of can we all come to an equi equilibrium of emotions? Mm. I think that's where we need to work. We need to start back again. There's a very good book on Jerusalem. And you can read the whole history of Jerusalem and you can see how many dynasties, mm. uh, Jewish kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Romans, and then uh, the Persians, and then Muslim dynasties from the Umayyads to the Ottomans, they all root Jerusalem one time or another. But the comforting thing is that you review back history for the large part of history, actually the communities live peacefully yes. next to each other. It was something recent because of the birth of the nation state. And then a two-state problem mm. arises. So I think let's look at, again, in the context of international law, history is complex if you go into it. Yep. I think that's why our, our long-standing stance is that the only a negotiated two-state solution represents a durable and just solution to this long-term conflict. And we have to keep ourselves, keep but our faith, and hopefully we can arrive there one day. In, in recent history, there have been opportunities mm. to mm. do this, but yeah. it was passed. I think there has to be political will on both sides, mm. both in talking and understanding each other and compromising, making compromises with each other, but also the ability to carry the people whom they led. And I think if the conditions are, I hope at some point conditions will be ripe again and we can push for two-state solutions. I think to round off, right, I do think it's so important that we've actually touched a lot about talking to the people that are in our more immediate circles, yeah. especially people that are of other faiths as well. And um, a conversation that I had with, uh, sorry, a conversation that I had recently with another friend that I got to interview for this also, right, was that I asked her, like, what's in it for you? Like, why do you even care? And she said that, like, um, because she wants to be on the right side of history. And then because 10, 20 years from now, when she has her own children, right, and her children are in school studying about this, and then they look back on this moment, and they wonder, why did the world let this happen? She doesn't want the moment to come where her children come and ask her, also, oh, mom, when this was happening, what did you do? And then she said, I did nothing. I just stood by the sidelines. I let it happen because I, I was far away and it didn't concern me. Which is why I think is what uh, Min Ong brought up about do what you feel is right in your heart. Like give the aid if you feel that that, is, that sits right with you. Talk to your friends and then see what else you can do. Mm. I think like, that's very important. Mm. Yeah, however that's small. I, yeah, however small. You know, that's a very, uh, that question was asked to me. Like, are you going to be on the right side of the history? I think I am being on the right side of history as a young Singaporean Muslim, uh, talking to my Jewish, Israeli friends, Muslim friends. And I think I'm being on the right side to mm -hmm. make sure that my relationship with them sustains and we see this together. Mm. I've decided what side of the history I am on. Mm. It, it's just that I don't want to be pressured into what you think should be the right yes. side of the history. Mm. Yes. I, think, I, I think first and foremost, as much as all of us care about it, I also do not want to give up that I have a right to reason and justify with myself and choose my decision. And that's also what freedom means, right? Mm. So I think we need to hold on to that principles as well. Uh. Mm. 
likewise for government, you know, the mm. positions we took, the resolutions we voted for, the explanations that we gave, yeah, against terrorism, uh, for upholding of international law, including law of war, but preserve each nation's ability to defend against itself. These are all important things for make sure Singapore will have should mm. anything happen to us in future. Mm. So we also have to be on the right side of history. Mm. So what message do you have for the passionate Singaporeans of Singapore, or uh, the passionate youth of Singapore? Mm. I think it's not just passionate youth, but there are many, many passionate Singaporeans that mm. has been touched by this event, who shocked by whatever they saw. And there's an outpouring of grief empathy, sympathy. Um, but all in all, while we do all that, which I think is good, and I think all groups in Singapore have so far responded in a very calm manner. Yeah, Knowing that whatever little help we can do uh, can go towards the victims. But at the same time, we are also protecting our own social cohesion, our own uh, rights as Singapore and as Singaporeans. So uh, let's keep this going. These things... Our reaction, I suppose, compared to other countries is very unique, but that is also the unique Singapore multicultural way. Thank you very much for watching this episode. And of course, thank you, Mr. Ong and Fahima for joining us and, and, like, and giving thank us so many you, insights. You. Like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you in the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.